HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This is Bernie Lovers, the global brand ambassador for whiskeys for Heaven Hill Distillery out of Bartstown in Louisville, Kentucky. And you're listening to Heritage Radio Network. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported podcast network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. This year, we're celebrating 10 years of food radio. For the past decade, we've been taking you behind the scenes of farms, restaurants, breweries, school cafeterias, and more. It's been 10 years, and we're just getting started. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. So you don't shun the devil with your rock and roll load. Knows that country music's gonna save your soul. The Welcome back to the Speakeasy. My name is Souther Teague. Damon Bolte is still in California, so it's just going to be me today in the studio with some guests. But first, I want to touch on a couple of things I need to talk about uh, that I need you to hear and pay attention to. Um, my good buddy Chris Reed, who uh, bartends at Bar Goto, as you've probably heard me mention many times on the show, my favorite bar in New York City, uh, was diagnosed with ALS just this past May. Um, and it is slowly robbing him of his ability to do his job. So we've created a GoFundMe for him. We're trying to raise $250,000 for Chris. We're just over $50,000 right now. So go to GoFundMe and search for Chris Reed. Uh, and make sure you give to this guy. He's a, he's a real sweetheart, and he's been dealt a terrible hand, and he's dealing with it the best that he can. Um, also, applications are open at uh, barmethods.com. Bar Methods is a, a 101 series that we do each year where we teach classes about all the basics of bartending from stirring to shaking to ice, uh, um, ice manufacture, all the basic things you need to get your, your program up and running. Um, it's a great session, uh, three days for a single price. It gets you tons of seminars, classes, dinners, lunches. Everything's paid for once you get here. Um, uh, so it's uh, August 25th to 28th here in New York City barmethods.com. Check it out. In the studio today, I've got, man, a hell of a team. Uh, a couple of guys from Ireland who have a tiny bar down the lower, uh, down, down the lower part of Manhattan that we're really hoping makes it. Uh, it's called uh, Dead Rabbit, Jack McGarry and Sean Muldoon. Uh, welcome to the studio. How you guys doing? Great. How are you? I'm well. I'm always happy to see you. Second time I've had you in the studio. Mm-hmm. First time I've seen you in here, but you've mentioned you've been in the studio before for another show. I think we were in twice before. Yeah. Once with Damon. Yeah. Oh, yeah, right. Um, and then also in the studio, we've got Rebecca Dooley. Rebecca, what's your Hi. role with, with, this, with this team? Um, I'm the marketing and PR director, so things like this and then any kind of pop-ups or um, events that we do, special launches like the book uh, that we just released. Yeah. Yeah. I got a copy of that. 
Good. Do you enjoy? <laughs> you enjoyed it? Yeah, of course. I'm 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 about halfway through it. Um, I love the layout. You know, a uh, uh, graphic novel style. Yeah. Uh, which uh, mimics your menus at the mm-hmm. Dead Rabbit, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it, which way did it go? Book first, then menus, or the other way? Menus and then book. Menus were always that style, and then a book came after yeah. that. And this is book two, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, we just released our latest book as well, so the Irish whiskey and Irish pop book. Books, books, books. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about the Dead Rabbit first, um, and then we'll get further into what's going on upcoming. But uh, Dead Rabbit's been open since 2013, right? Mm-hmm. And within six months of it opening, it, it, it hit really hard at Tales of the Cocktail, one best new bar and best cocktail list. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Um, how, did, how do you do that in six months? How do you crack open a bar in New York City, and then six months later, you're known as the best bar? <laughs> I, I like love the way he gives me this wee head as if it's my answer to this question. Um, so listen, Seller, I'm going to be brutally honest. When we came here, we came from Belfast. We had absolutely yep. nothing. We, we won Best Bar of Tales for the bar we worked in in the Merchant Hotel. The Merchant, yeah. And Belfast didn't understand this. It's like uh, when you tell people in Belfast, you're the best bar in the world according to Tales of the Cocktail. They think you're nuts. They think you're, you're having a laugh. So we came to New York. It was the, the thing that sold us to New York. There was a guy who used to come to our bar. He worked at the New York City Stock Exchange, and he was a millionaire by the time he was 33. And he said, you guys are in the wrong place. You need to be in a big city like London or New York. And he was in New York, and he said, if you come to New York, guarantee you, if you ever do the same thing, you ever win World's Best Bar or anything like that, you'll get so much more opportunity. So we came to New York with that in our mind. We wanted to be the best bar in the world. And I'm, I'm just going to be brutally honest, and I'm not being big-headed, I'm not being arrogant about this. That's what we... We were two guys from Belfast that had absolutely nothing. And we came here with that in our mind. We thought, we're going to go over and we want this opportunity that he's talking about. And so we came here with that intention. We've since changed a lot um, in six years. We've been open six years. We don't think the same way that we thought when we first came here. It's not all about cocktails, just, but it was when we first came here. And we very much wanted to win those awards. So... When I say to people, it's not, we came here and it wasn't a surprise to us to win it because that's what we came here for. And we spent two and a half years before we opened that bar of planning and thinking and living it every single day. We walked through the streets every day with nothing but each other to live off. There was nobody there giving us support, nobody there giving us help. It was me and him the whole way. And we knew that when we opened that bar, we were, as, as far as we were concerned, the way we talked, we were going to show the world and show the people that didn't believe us before we opened the bar what we were capable of. It wasn't a surprise to us, and I'm going to be honest. That's what we wanted to do, and that's what we came here to do. Now, we've since changed an awful lot in the way we think, but that's definitely, back in those days, we, we, wanted, we wanted that, and we wanted it more than anything. And you, and you did everything you could do to achieve it, and in, in achieving it, you, you were afforded all those opportunities mm-hmm. that you, you expected, right? Like the sort of thing I'm talking about, we won Best Bar at Tales, Best New Bar, in 2013. And what happens is... Six months after you open, the biggest culinary book publisher in, uh, in, in America is coming to your door asking you you want to write a book. That doesn't happen in Ireland. Like, it doesn't happen. It just doesn't. Nobody, nobody writes books in Ireland. It's, it's, it's not, not like nobody in our industry. Maybe a couple of high, high-ranking chefs would write books, but certainly not bartenders or bartender-related. It just doesn't happen. You know, so that was, that's an example of opportunity that the guy was talking about it was uh, you get the opportunity and it's it, it's here it's in the city it's not it, it's not in Belfast where we're from right so you came to a market that was more amenable to what it is you were already doing in a market that wasn't appreciating it yeah, that's well, the bottom line well what, what the only way I could describe it is um, 
I used to go hang about with this guy years ago, and he, he used to talk in Belfast, and he talked to me about there's Jordan's Towns University and there's Queen's University. It's like a university in England, and it's like uh, Cambridge or Oxford. Oxford. And having a degree in both those places is completely different. It's a degree. To me, to me, who doesn't have a degree? A degree is a degree. But to him, having a Queen's University degree is completely different than having a university degree in Jordanstown. And I thought that he was full of it. But it's like being the best bar in the world in Belfast and being the best bar in the world in New York is two completely different things. That's, that's the way I can uh, sum this up to you. Being the best bar in the world in Belfast, people think it's a sympathy vote. People think uh, this isn't real. You've got to be kidding. It doesn't happen. It's not true. But when you do it in New York, what the guy said was, the investor guy, um, you're going to meet your match. There's 100 million, not 100 million people, let's say 100, 100 people that think exactly like you that want to be the best. And that they're all in New York. Everybody goes to New York to be the best. And he said, you'll meet your match. He said, and if you can do it in New York, you're, you're really legitimate. It's not like doing it in Belfast and people feeling sorry for you. If you're able to do the same thing in New York, where you're meeting your match every single day of the week and there's people that go to that city just to do that thing, he said, then people will believe it. And, right. it, and it's true. Right, yeah. and it afforded you tons of opportunity. The first book was uh, The Grocery and Grog, right? Yeah. Uh, and that's the book that they came seeking you out? Yeah, and it's, it's one of those things that the, that book to me was like, um, there's the, you get people that have, have opinions on these things. Back then, I, back in Belfast, I was a guy. I was inspired by another guy, and uh, a guy from Canada. He got me into cocktails, and there was me and him in Belfast that were really leading a cocktail charge when nobody else was doing it. And I thought, tell that story of how I get into cocktails. Jack met me through the Merchant Hotel, but Jack was an amazing. He was a wizard of cocktails. He was he was an incredible best bartender I've ever seen in my life. Uh, people back in Belfast thought he was like the George Best. I don't know if you know who George Best is, but George yep. Best is like the Irish equivalent of Pelly. And uh, Jack was like the George Best of, of, uh, of cocktails. And uh, when you watch Jack Barton, he was, he was riveting to watch. You could have been fighting with your wife or fighting with your husband. And Jack would have distracted you because to watch him Barton was, was something truly special. So there was that. And I thought that the first book should be about how I get into cocktails and how what was happening in Belfast back in those dark days and meeting Jack and then Jack's cocktails. And I thought that would be a good story. And it seems to be that a lot of people look up to that book because we were we came from nothing and it's just a it's that story of a, of the of the the boy growing up in a in a wee neighborhood area in north belfast it uh it does well that's yeah. what we were trying to tell the world you know yeah hometown heroes hometown, hometown, hometown <laughs> so, heroes so now do you get that respect back in belfast that you didn't get before you think when you go back home are you lauded or are you yeah, it's like it's like. Are they, are they do they want you to come home now? No, it's yeah, and they're constantly saying like, and no no disrespect, but they're constantly saying, why don't you put my dad Robert in Belfast? And it's just because Belfast doesn't understand it, not not what we're about. Um, but we we've changed a lot. It's not just about cocktails now. It's it's about creating an experience, and, and before it was all about cocktails. So we've definitely changed. We've matured. Matured. What's the experience like now at the Dead Rabbit? I mean, for us, I think when we first opened the show, I was saying it was purely cocktail driven like the whole beverage program was historically driven everything was all, like historic nowadays it's about our whole raison d'etre is about bringing the pub the Irish pub particularly with Dead Rabbit into the 21st century so everything revolving around that you have parts of that like the Irish coffee the Irish whiskey selection you have our menus you have us taking every single detail right down to what's in the bathrooms how the floor like every single detail uh, we're completely focused on so it was was just purely this now it's now it's everything Right. Um, so I think we've we came over as bartenders and we've became operators. Do you know, I think that's the best way to kind of sum it up. 
Sure, I th- but I think that's an evolution that would have happened even if you just stayed yeah. your ground, right? You, you mature into that, as you said, mature. You mm-hmm. mature into that role, yeah. right? You know, I definitely feel the same way. Maury Margo is eight years old this month, and, you know, we focus heavily on the drinks still, but, but the experience is what we focus mm-hmm. on the most, by far. Uh, and you guys have an immersive situation over there at the Dead Rabbit. It's very, like, you're stepping off the streets of New York City and into Ireland. Yeah. And it's super immersive. Mm-hmm. Like, you feel it right away. You know, that, that, that long, you know, pub room with all the Irish whiskey, the wall of Irish whiskey attacking your sight <laughs> as you come in the door, like Guinness in, in front of everybody. Like, it's, it's definitely an immersive feeling mm-hmm. when I walk in there. Mm-hmm. But it looks new right now, right? Um, yeah. You had a bit of a, a tragedy a couple months back. Uh, the place next door caught on fire and damaged you, right? Well, Is that how it went? Was it next door? No, we, we caught on fire. It was you that caught yeah, on fire. Yeah, we oh, caught okay. on fire, yeah. Uh, what happened there? Well, we still don't fully know the, the ins and outs of it, but the story that uh, we're going with is uh, <laughs> it was basically it originated in the ductwork, and it came th- out through the ductwork, went into the kitchen, went back up, and then came out of the ductwork and had basically killed the entire back of the building, so all our electrics and, and that type of stuff. So it wasn't aesthetic as much. It wasn't in the front of the house. It was more back of the house, but it still cost us a good couple of hundred thousand dollars. We were closed for 18 days. 18 uh, days 18, we, it would have been if it happened to a smaller bar it would have been much longer but oh, yeah. fortunate, fortunately we had money in the bank that was set aside initially for the extension that we dipped into and our partners had to put in more more money as well but uh, yeah it was a, it was an interesting time for sure but again it's one of those things when it happens in New York you just dust yourself on come back stronger yeah yeah you gotta keep moving we've got yeah. friends who've had bars who've, who've burned uh, mm-hmm. uh, the team over at the Donna Black Crescent like, yeah. they just have to like muscle through it and come back mm-hmm. uh, same for you um, but it was right at a time when you were about to expand anyway. Yeah. So the comeback in, involved the expansion, or did the comeback, the, the expansion was later, right? Well, we got the building at the tail end of the year before. Mm-hmm. Um, we were starting to work on it, so we were initially, it happened in the kitchen, but we had already purchased the equipment for the kitchen to go into the basement of the next door building. Um, so that was, it, it happened when all this was happening, but then when we had to pull the construction team off, con- demo and construction to, to get the bar back open. So it put us it put us back by about I'd say about six weeks it put us back six to eight weeks, and then the money ran out so we had like it was it was stressful yeah. stressful time. And I'll just be like chiming in on that, um, and I'm, I know I I know that I'm anybody that's serious about their operation. It's everybody's worst nightmare that you're going to go home at night and your building's going to go on fire mm-hmm. because you see it every single morning when you wake up in the news. A building in Brooklyn or a building in in Staten Island has caught fire and you just you see the damage it's done. And our building is an old building, it's 200 years old, and you just know it's your worst nightmare. And there's nothing, it's, if it's going to happen, it's going to happen, but you do everything you can to prevent it. But it's one of those unfortunate things, and, and we're very, very lucky because mm-hmm. just immediately after our building went on fire, a building went on fire in Belfast City Centre, where we're from. Uh, Primark, it's a, it was the busiest Primark in, um, in the whole of Europe, as far as I'm aware. It, co- it caused uh, like damage beyond belief, that pr- practically the entire Belfast City Centre closed down because of this one building. It was it's a landmark building, but it's a, a special building, and it what it did to Belfast in the last year was is remarkable, like, like really really bad. Um, but so many people lost their jobs, and it was burned to the ground, like it was a real real mm-hmm. serious fire. So we we consider ourselves very very fortunate 
the fact that we were only able to open again in New York in 18 days, it was, it was nothing short of remarkable. Yeah, outstanding. Uh, when you reopened, did you, did you have the kitchen at that moment, or did you open without a kitchen for a while? You no, know, well, we still had a fairly extensive food upper room, but it was it was all cold items. It was mm. salads, like salads, sandwiches, uh, bar snacks. So it was still, like, I was actually very surprised when the chef showed us the menu because it was still fairly extensive considering they they literally had one table that they were knocking all this food out of, and we were still doing decent uh, food sales. But the, the the business took it took a hit. Um, we, were, we were down a quarter. Yeah. 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 So of what we would normally make in yeah. a normal week, we were down a quarter because yeah. of food. What a drag! Um, but great, speedy recovery, yeah. and and then now now the exp- extension is open. I haven't been to see it yet, but yeah. I've heard I've heard great things about it. It's just the ground floor that's extended now. So we did it in three stages. So obviously, when we got the the bar reopened, the focus was to get the kitchen back online. So all the energy went into getting the kitchen open. So we got the kitchen open, I believe, at the beginning of December. Um, and then the focus went into getting the extension open, the tap room extension, because that's where we're going to get mo- like that that area is going to contribute more to the revenue and the experience overall. So that was the next that opened at the end of December. And now the parlor extension is open this Friday, um, so it, it, we 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 focused in three separate areas. You said this Friday. This Friday. Yeah. Oh, it's not even open yet. Yeah. Oh, so okay, the, great. Yeah. The parlor extension. Yeah, so I'm so I'm not too late. I'll come yeah. see it all when it's so all done. So the parlor <laughs> extension will open then. After that, we'll be focused on the staff and the staff are in the management space. So we because we've dedicated half of the second floor for staff and staff and management, the the work and change and all that type of stuff. Amazing. Wow, man. Uh, that that's a luxury in New York City yeah. to have space to offer just to the staff. Yeah. You know, my space, n- not a chance. We got nothing. <laughs> I got nothing. Like, I, you know, I recommend people don't bring their code in with them. Yeah. Like, there's nowhere to put it. Um, so that's, that's an incredible thing to have. Um, well, we're right about the uh, mark where we take a break and hear from our sponsors. So let's do that. We'll come right back with uh, the team from the Dead Rabbit, Jack McGarry, Sean Muldoon, and Rebecca Dooley. We're going to talk about upcoming uh, um, St. Patrick's Day. We'll be right back. This is Bernie Lubbers on the Speakeasy on Heritage Radio and you know, sipping on some bourbon. And some of the bourbons I like to sip on is old, authentic brands. And that's what we are at Heaven Hill Distillery. And one of those brands is Old Fitzgerald. It is a brand that distiller Pappy Van Winkle made famous after he bought it during Prohibition and brought it back afterwards. And so Larceny Bourbon is the bourbon based on Old Fitzgerald. It's the small batch version of Old Fitzgerald. So when you see Larceny, notice it's a fairly new brand. It's only six years old or so as a brand. But the whiskey and the heritage is from Old Fitzgerald, which is an old heritage brand that is heralded the worldwide. It's a gem in our portfolio. So if you haven't tried Larceny Bourbon, you should. Hey there. Seems like you like podcasts. My name is Eli Sussman. I'm a chef and restaurant owner, and I've got a great podcast right here on Heritage Radio Network called The Line. On my show, I interview chefs and restaurateurs about the trajectory of their career. It's a one-on-one conversation where we talk about where it all started to where they are cooking now and everything in between. You can find The Line everywhere you get your podcasts and on heritageradionetwork.org. And we are back on the Speakeasy. Uh, Today we've got uh, the team from The Dead Rabbit with us, Sean Muldoon, Jack McGarry, and Rebecca Dooley. Uh, we've been talking about the dead rabbit and its rise to uh, fame and popularity here in New York City and and its uh, uh, and the world. Um, we didn't talk at all about Blacktail. You want to touch on that a little bit? Then we're going to talk about 
St. Patrick's Day. If you have a question, we'll answer it. <laughs> I mean, Blacktail opened. Uh, how old is Blacktail at this point? Uh, two years old. Two years old, yeah. more of a Cuban theme. What yeah. made you go with that theme? Like, what, what two guys from Belfast, the first thing I think of is daiquiris. I mean, so <laughs> Sean has a big uh, fascination with Ernest Hemingway, so there was that, that part in terms of his story in Cuba. But the big thing is definitely in Ireland, there's, a, there's an affinity uh, between Irish people, Catholic Irish people, and, and Cuba um, because of the relationship, the, the way they're perceived, the relationship with imperial kind of forces and powers and that type of stuff. Mm-hmm. But that's obviously quite a dense story. But there, so that's, there, there's that thing with Cuba, Sean's Ernest Hemingway thing, and we started doing trips. And uh, when it came to the time of like entertaining another bar, we didn't want to do another Irish pub because it, that would have been the easy thing to do. Um, and <laughs> why do the easy yeah, thing? So we wanted to do something something slightly different. And Sean had this idea of doing the the uh, the American story in Cuba before the revolution. So just before Prohibition, right in the the start of the revolution, because there was a, an amazing Irish story there, an American story in terms of the entrepreneurs going there, the hoteliers, the bars, the luxury bars. So that was that was really the story of, of Blacktail, but Sean will go into greater detail in terms of the Ernest Hemingway side of things. No, it's just one, one of the, both of our bars, the, the Blacktail and the Dead Rabbit, um, they are like, Dead Rabbit is an Irish American story. It's a story that happened in New York. Um, the Dead Rabbits existed in New York. And Blacktail were small airplanes that you could have got to, um, you could have hopped what do you call it hopscotch is that the name of the game you could have hopscotched across America with these like that's what they call it the uh, highball express like the Orient Express where you get a plane to uh, connect an airport they connect an airport and you basically hopscotch right across America to get the, the Cuba during Prohibition uh, the, right. the, the plane the planes operated from I believe 1920 to 24 but from 20 to 22 they were called the white um, the white tail fleet because all the, peel, the, the tail fins of the planes were painted white and then some marketing guru came in and seen them from the ground and said we need to paint the tail fins black uh, so that people can identify them and they were called the black tail fleet uh, but uh, it was just a very interesting and it happened in New York and I think if you're going to tell a Cuban story in New York it needs to be New York related and I think the same with an Irish if you're going to tell an Irish story in New York it needs to be New York related so that's that's what seems to be why people dig it and why people own it in the city because it, we're not an Irish bar from Ireland coming to New York. It's it's a New York story. It's a the black tail is black tail is a, a New York story. It happened in New York, right? So that's that that that's what I think makes them the both work. And it's such an opulent place. Like it's so, I don't know, overbuilt isn't the right word, but like it's got, it's it's really built up. Like when you come in, it's kind of like again stepping off the streets of New York City and into into this like grandiose yeah. Cuban experience. Yeah, it's very immersive. Yeah, what yeah. happened? What happens? Like, I mean, you've got out each side of the windows. If you were to open the blinds, you've got the, the Freedom Tower, the World Trade Center, the Freedom Tower. You've got it right on one side, and you've got the Statue of Liberty on the other side. And people would come in and say, "Here, the views are amazing in here," but there is no views because we close the blinds. And you're not supposed to be in New York. You're supposed to be in Cuba right. during pro, uh, uh, pre-revolution. But yeah, it's a uh, grandiose, but. It's grandiose, I think, by New York standards. It's not grandiose by like European standards. When European uh, bartenders and stuff come to the bar, they they completely identify with it. Mm-hmm. It's nothing 
they, they, to them this is the sort of bar that they know and they they appreciate and they but new it's very different and grandiose for in new york because i think in new york we like our bars to be small i don't know if we like it we just that's what, that's what <laughs> we're stuck it, with it's what we're used to <laughs> I mean, um, and you know real estate is expensive and i'll yeah. be honest like when we first opened black teal um we didn't get favorable reviews from the press and stuff like that because it was so different and it was so as you say people were saying it was like a mafia kingpins um mansion and shit like that um and people were talking about this and that and the other but listen it's it's what it is and it's it's what we wanted it to be and the thing is it's different for compared to other bars in new york compared to this place we're in for example it's completely different and i understand that but when people from europe and people from london and stuff come to the bar they do identify with a lot of these well, yeah every time i travel in in europe you go to all the hotel bars and they're yeah. they're yeah they're like incredibly that. opulent yeah. yeah high high ceiling chandeliers everywhere lots of woodwork marble uh, and I think that's uh, you're right. For us in New York, yeah, it's a little unusual. You go to smaller markets that have more real estate uh, for less money, and you get things like that. But. No, well, the thing about us, though, we're aware of that, and we're aware. Like when people say it is, it's we know what makes it different from a New York standpoint, and and we we appreciate that because it's it's what, the way things are over here. But it, it is what it is, and it's 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 the bar that we want it to be. You know? Yeah. Well, I think it's beautiful. I've been there a couple of times. I was there actually very first night, friends mm-hmm. and family. Mm-hmm. I saw you there. Um, and it's now, what did you say, three years old? Coming it'll up be, to three. It'll be coming up on three. You going to have a big party? No, we'll have a party when it's five years old. Yeah. We used to have parties every year, but I think you should, we, we've decided we're only going to have them on major celebrations. So the first, the fifth, the tenth, that type of thing, you know. Yeah, I like it. That, yeah. You know, I, I don't do anything. Ever. <laughs> we're, we're eight years old this month. I'll say it forever, yeah. uh, but I, I, we're not going to do anything. Yeah. The, the, big, the big thing with Black Teal is that we are, our menus, we're moving away. We wanted to tell the story of Cuba from 1922 to 1959. So basically when Americans started going to Cuba during Prohibition, right up until the revolution, we wanted to tell that story and make people aware of that story um, through menus and this, that and the other. So we're moving away from history. And we're going a much more cultural route. We're we're going to be starting to celebrate everything, even today, that Cuba is known for and and celebrated is um, its music and dance. Um, so we're opening an outside space in May, beginning of May, which is pretty cutting edge for an outside space. It's pretty cutting edge. It's it's done right, and it's uh, it's another 180 seats. Whoa. It's going to be open eight months of the year, and music is going to be a big, big feature. And this time, you will be seeing this. The Statue of Liberty is right there, and the cruise ships are just going past in the, in the, in the Hudson River. But it's uh, right, because you're on Pier A for people listening. It's on mm-hmm. Pier A, which literally sticks out into the water. Mm-hmm. So the bar sticks out into the water. So that I know the outdoor space that you're talking about, where, where you're going to have it, it's right, kind of right on the water, right to the side of the, the door of, um, right to the left of the door when you walk in Blacktail. Yeah, which is. It's going to be gorgeous, I'm yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. Opening in May, outstanding. So the whole thing is going to become much more music and dance focused, and uh, so it'll be music, dance, cocktails, and food. That's, that's what we're trying to do over there. Yeah, it's beautiful. Uh, and again, it's a real sense of escapism that you guys build in, in your bars. You know, mm-hmm. uh, stepping you know into your places again out of downtown Manhattan, and you're in Ireland suddenly, and that hospi- hospitality comes through, and that the vibe comes through again, and in everything that you see in front of people, and everything that you see on the back bar. Um, it makes a lot of sense. Um, America is about to celebrate St. Patrick's Day. Uh, well, the world is, I guess, but America is going to fuck it up. Uh, and you guys are here to set the record straight. What is St. Patrick's Day supposed to be? Because uh, you know, I think our picture of it is let's uh, let's get Chicago to paint the river green. Uh, let's drink a bunch of green beers and get you know really wasted early in the day. It's like SantaCon, but with leprechauns. 
I mean, you you guys have made it much more of a celebration. We don't have like parades. What you guys definitely started the parade, the big massive parades. Um, but St. Patrick's Day, if, if I were trying to explain it, it's for an American side of things. It's definitely closer. The, the way that we celebrate it would be the way you guys celebrate Thanksgiving. It's but it's much more community. Like you'll close off streets. It'll like the whole street will party together. But it's not as it's not as emphatic in terms of its alcohol consumption. Um, that's definitely. Amer- the American side of things, and I'd say the patawackery in terms of the the greenness and the green nut, we don't do that back home. Um, obviously, because we are Irish, we don't need to kind of to celebrate it that way. So for us and and Dead Rabbit, it, it's all about celebrating the authentic the authentic St. Patrick's Day. It's the it's the banter, it's the crack, it's the 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 music, the product. Obviously, in the Irish whiskey, the Irish coffee, the Irish co- the Irish whiskey cocktails, Guinness. Um, but it's doing it all without the kind of the like the Santa Coney, like that type of thing. We try to get rid of all that, so because that's not that's not what it's about for for us. To yeah. me, when I was growing up, St Patrick's Day was like you went to the shop and you bought a little badge, and it was like a it had the the, the colours of the Irish flag with a little harp on it, and you stuck it on your and your, your 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 coat. You went to mass, and uh, as you get older, you didn't go to the mass, and you just. Um, had pints with your dad in the local bar. That was that was St Patrick's Day. You probably watched sport on the TV or something, but it was not like you went out and paraded or yeah. went to a march or anything like that. Well, I think in in slight defense of the American approach, um, it's it's a way to sort of recognize uh, you know Irish heritage that maybe the people that are putting on these parades maybe are from or that they associate with Ireland in some close way. But then it just got out of control. Yeah. It spiraled out of control where it's just everybody gets on the bandwagon and. And tries to make it into this great day of drinking. <laughs> yeah, that's what we do with everything. Everything yeah. in America goes to goes eventually heads back to drinking. Yeah, yeah, but listen, the big there's a big parade in Dublin. It's it's not beyond like it wouldn't be the size of the one in New York, but they they definitely are like what what. But that doesn't really happen anywhere else in Ireland apart mm-hmm. from Dublin. Yeah, and I would I would assume that the parade in Dublin is a little bit more reverent. Whereas the parade here is just a big party of people yeah. dragging through the streets. I mean, I remember the first time I came over here and Sean took me to the parade. I was like, never, never going to be back at this again. Because it's just the way the way people were getting on that day was bonkers. Like, yeah, know, dr- I've never dr- been drink with drinking. It was just hardcore. I've, I've lived in New York for eighteen yeah. years. I've never been to any yeah. parade of any kind because I lived in yeah. New Orleans for three years and Mardi Gras enough. Yeah. <laughs> the big the big thing that we do St Patrick's Day is we totally depend on our Irish clientele all year long, every day of the week. It's not like St. Patrick's Day, let's milk it, let's get as much money to these people as we can. We actually give back on St. Patrick's Day and it's a day that we seriously do not have to give back. We do like half price Irish coffees and things like that and we don't have to do it. It's just because we want to do it. Um, our Irish audience, our Irish followers, our Irish fan base are really, really important to us every single day of every single year and it's St. Patrick's Day is no different. We want them to come. The thing that we do, we think we do in Dead Rabbit is we, we give people from Ireland, for, for New Yorkers, we give them something different. It's a different type of Irish bar. Um, for people from back home in Ireland, it's it's a, a home from home. They come here and they identify with it right away because this is the, these are the type of bars that they're familiar with. And we do things well. We do things as well as we humanly possibly can. And they, they appreciate that. They know that we go to the lengths. They, they, they're, they're the people, as I said earlier, they will tell us every good thing we do and they will tell us every bad thing we do. They are our number one. They tell you everything. Rebecca deals with these people on a daily basis on yep. social media. Mm-hmm. And she'll tell you, like, they will tell you everything you're doing wrong and everything. <laughs> we, we just opened two snugs, which is like two booths 
in our um, in our extension. And when when you eventually do come, you'll you'll see what I'm talking about. But they were they were telling us, oh, you have to give them names. Oh, you have you have to give them names. And they were actually telling us what the names snugs have to have names. <laughs> they, according to Irish tradition, they have to have names. None of us knew this, but we were being told they have to have names. So we give them names. We named them after our mothers. My mother, his mother. But we wouldn't have even known that. Only they told us. It's just that they, they they pay attention to everything we're doing. They want us to do everything right. They want us to represent them right. And they, they keep us they keep us guided. And I'm, I'm being honest. honest. It yeah. sounds like it's yeah. at least at least it's constructive criticism. They're not just uh, so bitching pe- at you. People would be telling Rebecca, "I'm coming over to Patrick's Day six months in advance. Um, can yeah. I come with kids? Can I do this? Can I do that?" And it's six it's a six month plan for these a lot of these people. So listen, we're. All we want to do is do what's right by them and, and give them the best possible day that we can, the best possible experience. We're, ser- we're not out to rip people off or, or charge people extra. We, we want people to come to the bar and have a great time and a great experience and a great memory and go back to Ireland r- raving about the bar. That's, that's all we want. Yeah. I'm shocked that you have such a contingency of Irish... So Irish visitors from Ireland from, come to see you, but then also Irish residents come it's, to see it, you. It's, like, we get a lot of New York residents. Uh, that doesn't I mean uh, yeah. Irish, yeah. Irish, Irish I, residents of New York. I wouldn't say Irish New York residents necessarily. We get some, but it's mo- we get a lot of a New York following, uh, people from New York that come to the bar regularly. And then we get a lot of Irish. In UK, people from London, people from England, we get a lot of those people as well. And other, other American states, obviously, but... Irish is a big when it comes to tourism, tourists Irish is easily I'm talking about people coming for the for the weekend or the week easily our number one uh, uh, tourist group easily wow Huh. Does that hold true at uh, Black Tail? You got a lot of Cubans in there? Probably not. No. <laughs> well, we, we, it's, it's starting. Listen, but it is. It's starting to get that way. And the reason I, the, the people who tell us that, or the people who tell me that, particularly are the um, doormen, because they're both Spanish. Uh, one is from. Puerto, uh, Puerto Rico mm-hmm. Freddy's from Puerto Rico and where's he from Salvador uh, and basically they tell us because they're speaking to these people when they're leaving every night funny story um, how, how patriotic people can get um, we recently started a, a music on a, a Wednesday and it's a, a Brazilian band Brazilian singer and they have they sing Portuguese not Spanish and the doorman would tell you when the Spanish People are leaving. People from Cuba. People from Puerto Rico. Uh, when they're leaving, they would complain about the uh, Portuguese person speaking, uh, uh, singing, because it's uh, it's not Spanish. And you're just thinking, like, this is how much these people own the place. It's like uh, they're telling the doorman because they're all Spanish that they have a problem with it should be Spanish, not Portuguese. You know, it's it's just that type of ownership. Yeah, well, that's good that you you know your guest feels entitled enough to <laughs> to give you some 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 feedback. You know, I, I've always said. Uh, uh, when I'm opening my bars, uh, you know, I plan my work, I work my plan, I remain flexible. Mm-hmm. Because once I get the doors open, the people are going to come in and tell me what it is. Mm-hmm. Right? They're going to drive the business. I just want a good experience. And if it's Portuguese, it's Portuguese. If it's Spanish, it's Spanish. It's just, <laughs> I just want a good experience, you know? Right. Yeah, it's like you got close, but you missed their mark just by that little bit. <laughs> Record, you find them to be a, 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 a it's, it's criticism that, that's, that's constructive, or is it just they're yelling at you? It's name usually, the snugs. Um, Why aren't you naming the snugs? <laughs> it's it, it depends. One thing that um, on Deb Rabbit social media is always contentious is the Irish breakfast. Uh-oh. So anytime you put up a is picture... Is it the of, wrong bacon? <laughs> no, it'll be... Well, Sean and Jack will know. There's different types of um, Irish breakfast. Yeah, so it's, so the, it's the most contentious post we ever put up yeah. uh, because... <laughs> There's, a, there's such a thing it's crazy but there's such a thing there's a Scottish breakfast I don't know I don't know what a Scottish breakfast is but there's a Scottish breakfast it's, pro- it's probably got haggis and mushrooms yeah, it does. Um, English breakfast I'm pretty sure has beans and mushrooms yeah English breakfast I, mm, yeah but my mum says it doesn't have beans but I would have it with beans see even, even an English fry up is people argue about it but English yeah. always has tomato right 
Yeah, yeah. But an, an Irish one. So Irish breakfast too. is the the way we got the way we think is um, the the Irish breakfast, which is the south of Ireland. Um, it would have um, white pudding, black pudding, bacon, sausage, um, tomato, and eggs, obviously fried eggs, and maybe wheat and bread. Mm-hmm. The Ulster Fry is we, where we're from. It's uh, the Ulster Fry, and it's it's not called the Irish breakfast, but the difference is that it has potato bread and soda bread, and yeah. it does it does not have wheat and bread, and it doesn't have black and white pudding. And so that's the difference. So we put up a, a post about the Irish breakfast. Just for the listener, by the way, black and white puddings are not pudding; they're meat. <laughs> yeah, we actually went through it's, that. It's blood sausage and and uh, sausage and, and boudin, basically. <laughs> So basically, uh, we, we go through it. We put up the post uh, because we've so many people that follow us from from where we're from in Belfast, Northern Ireland, and stuff like that. They would criticise this breakfast because it does not have the potato bread or the soda bread, and it's it's not an easy thing to get over here. It's it's um, it's it's we have to make it ourselves. So we literally started making our own soda bread, and they actually sent us the recipes, <laughs> and they said this is the way it is. You've got to have the potato bread and you've got to have the pseudo bread and here's the recipes and all from these top chefs by the way it's not like oh. some wee local it's top chefs sent us these recipes and the next time you put up the picture make sure it has the breads so now it, it's, listen it's one of those pieces of uh, advice like the, the snugs having names that we're prepared to listen to the Portuguese music thing we're not prepared to listen to because it's, it's, a good, it's just music um, but this is uh, something we've got to listen to because there's people who are actually taking offence at this well it's, it's the fact that you guys really seem to approach the thing on a level of minutia that, that, that you know equates to attention to detail mm-hmm. right and I also would, would hazard the same guess that if you put up a, a cocktail recipe for Hemingway Daiquiri at the Black Tail, people will be like, oh, no, 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 that's not a Hemingway, if you didn't include maraschino liqueur or mm-hmm. if you didn't include grapefruit juice or whatever. Like, uh, it's, you know, you found a, a, a pretty fun crossover between the food and drink world where we're all kind of nerdy, mm-hmm. right? And if you're posting up, like, this is a true dish just, and then you're missing a component that someone believes is factually the truth, then now we've got a contention, yeah. right? Like, yeah, definitely the potato bread. But that's fun. Bread. I think that's fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So I think made, you should post. You should post five days of Irish breakfast and have all the different. <laughs> <laughs> on Mondays we have soda bread. On Tuesdays we have black pudding. On Wednesdays we have tomato, and on Thursday we have beans. Right? That actually, that's actually a great idea. Right? Just post them up. Be like, which day are you coming? <laughs> um, uh, how how far have you been running lately? I know you do a lot of running. Uh, a lot. Uh, I'm running the uh, New Jersey uh, New Jersey full marathon at the end of April, so it's like fifty or sixty miles a week at the minute. 50 or 60 yeah. miles a week. And then Sean's doing the uh, the New York half marathon, so he's running about 30 to 40. Half marathons are not the same as marathons, so mm-hmm. it's like a marathon, to me, is bad for you. He can do it. I, I couldn't do it. A marathon would kill me. But half <laughs> half marathons, to me, are challenging enough, but um, I enjoy doing them. How many marathons have you run at this point? How many full marathons have you run? Like six or seven this, at this point now. Jesus. Yeah. First of all... How can you not remember exactly? <laughs> if I'd run six or seven, I would know it was six or it was seven, because it killed me. <laughs> my, my sister in, in Ireland, she's um, she's run like over thirty marathons, and what? she's no, she's nothing but pains in her legs and things like this. And I'm just thinking, I do not, I don't want to be there. I, d- I just do not want to be. And it's not like she's breaking any records or anything. She's running marathons in four or ten minutes, whatever. But I, I know it's fast, but it's not like. To me, it's like you're running 30 marathons, 40 marathons to run it in that time. I, I wouldn't, I just wouldn't do it. It's different if you're trying to achieve three hours or something. There's a, I'm just talking from my perspective. Sure. She's obviously got her own reasons for doing this, but she's got all kinds of pains, problems with her feet, and it's just somewhere I don't want to be. 
and you don't care. You want to run, run, run. No, I, I mean, run. for Sean's sister, it sounds like she, she runs a lot a year. I only run one or two marathons a year. Because if you're running more than one or two a year, you're going to get into problems. But I see on your social media, you run a lot, just generally. Yeah, I mean, I'm always running, yeah. Yeah, that's that's. But I'm not running like if you're running if you're running like five, four, five, six marathons a year, you're gonna have problems. Yeah, Do you know. Yeah, we. I think you have a mental problem yeah. right away. Well, I mean, <laughs> you can sign me up for those too. Sure. <laughs> uh, when you're not training for a half marathon and running fifty miles a week, how many miles a week do you generally run? Just on a regular average. Normally about forty. So not much less. Yeah, but the two, ex- two the miles extra, a day. Yeah, but the extra 10, 10 20 a week really. That so, turns it's a lot. It, like, that yeah. turns it up. Yeah. How many calories of food do you consume a day during that time? Like three and a half thousand, four thousand a day. Wow. Man, that's just beyond <laughs> me in every way. I, I can't even. I, mean, I wouldn't be able to eat that much, and I damn sure wouldn't be able to run that much. I, you know, I, I was a athlete when I was young. I was a, a skateboarder, sponsored skateboarder for Vision yeah. Streetwear, and I destroyed my ankles and my knees. I, I, couldn't, I couldn't run from here to that bar over there. Um, but uh, but good for you. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, do, you, do you have any uh, aspirations to run like the New York Marathon? Have you run that? I've run that like three times. Oh shit! Yeah. Really? I thought that was a hard one to get into. Yeah, it is. But you you can, you can get in. You find a way. Yeah, you got a little sway yeah. with the, hey, with the New York people, Marathon. Hey, knows yeah, people. exactly. There we go. Uh, host a party at the bar or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> Swing it right in there. Uh, well, what else you guys got coming up? Uh, anything new on the horizon we can talk about? Well, you got, your book just came out. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to have Jillian on uh, and talk about the book more specifically, but uh, it's your book as well, right? Mm-hmm. The three of you wrote it. Uh, all three of your names are on the cover. This is the Mixology and Mayhem you're talking about? Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that came out a couple months ago, and then we just released the, the new book as well as the third book. What's the third? Okay, I'm getting confused. So two came out in three months. Yep. Yeah. Oh, Jesus. All right, what was the, what's the one you're talking about? So you can talk about the whiskey book. No, I'll talk about the other book. Yeah, <laughs> I'll talk right. about the I'll talk about the menu book. Um, so listen, it's we've always taken menu seriously. We took menu seriously when we were in the Merchant Hotel as well. Um, we won best cocktail menu when we were in the Merchant Hotel. Um, it's just something we've always invested in and always believed in. And the also it was like um, it's it's part of the experience when a guest comes to the bar and they see the menu. Some people are put off by menus and put off by stories of menus and the fact that I have to know what what's going on here. It, it should be just a straightforward list. There's listen. There's different. It's different strokes for different folks. Some people are really into it and some people aren't into it. Most of our guests are into it, but um, we've always been into menus. And what we noticed was, in the last four or five years, there's. Um, there's a lot of bars spending a lot of money on menus, particularly in Europe. If I'm going to be brutally honest, um, there's a lot. You can see that what we've, what we, st- I believe, started um, the type of way we go about menus. I believe it's impacted a lot of other bars, and there's a lot of other bars across the world that are taking menus really, really seriously. Not everybody does. Again, it's it's it's, it's a bunch of people, but they do take menus very seriously. And if you look at these awards, it's always the same people that are in the top ten because they're, they're, it's always the same people that are investing and believe in the same thing. But we felt um, it would be good to just show behind the scenes, basically. Like it's like making a film. Um, what goes on in, in our world when we when it comes to creating menus, from what Jillian does with the drinks and and the staff down to what it comes with a design team and how the inspiration starts in the first place and we just thought uh, it'd be good to tell that story to get people a real behind the scenes peek uh, 
about, about the processes and the lengths we go to to make menus um, because it, it's just interesting in this day and age when people are taking menus seriously. If, if people weren't taking menus seriously, then we wouldn't have done the book. I think, uh, you know, Jim Behan in his book says that a cocktail's name is the only marketing plan that cocktail has, mm-hmm. right? There are plenty of great cocktail names that were attached to not-so-great cocktails that have still gone on. Mm-hmm. There are plenty of terrible cocktail names that have, have been great cocktails that have disappeared, right? Yeah. So the cocktail name is the only marketing plan that a cocktail has, according to Jim Meehan. <laughs> I think going further <laughs> is the menu itself is kind of the only marketing that your, your list has, yeah. right? And also it's an engaging piece that you literally hand to every single guest, mm-hmm. right? And if you can make that something that makes them excited or interested or, or put a story behind the drink then all the more chance that the next time they come in they'll they'll have they'll have an entryway into your menu already mm-hmm. last time i was here i remember i had this thing that had something to do with something and then you can say oh here's where we went with that on the yeah. new menu whatever speaking of menus and drinks in st patrick's day and the irish coffee uh there's a couple of bottles of bushmills sitting here on the bar uh let's talk about irish coffee what are you guys doing over you there? You can talk about the Irish coffee. You can talk about the Irish coffee. No, you love it. I'm tired of talking. You can talk. Two, <laughs> two shy Irish guys. <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll, I'll the world. So listen, Irish coffee with us, um, it started, uh, we've always been serious about the Irish coffee. Um, it started, my, my love affair with Irish coffee started 20 years ago in London. Dale DeGroff was doing a presentation and uh, at the London Bar Show. And he could have chosen any drink in the world, and he could have chosen any topic in the world. And this was at a time when, like, Dale DeGroff, for, for us in the UK, in Ireland, he was still much, he was a real, real celebrity. Like, to even being Dale DeGroff's company, for me back then, was like, it was like, this guy was like a superstar. He I, is, he still is. I know, I know, I know. But like, <laughs> now when you're here in New York, it's much more like on a, on a friendly business. But back then, you didn't know who he was. You'd heard about this guy, and it was just like, you were in awe. And the thing that he um, did, and he didn't have to do again, was make an Irish coffee. And he asked the question to 100 bartenders in the UK, how many of you have had an Irish coffee before? And they, they all put their hand up. And then he says, I'm going to ask a second question. How many of you have an Irish coffee you actually liked? Mm. Which is an amazing question. I, I just can't get past that question um, to this day. It was mind-blowing for him to be asking that question like 20 years ago in London. And nobody put their hand up. And he says, exactly. And he says, I'm going to tell you why. And he told the whole reasons why Irish coffees have been a disaster in the past. And he was talking about Irish coffees in America at that time, but it was the same for Irish coffees in Ireland. We, we just did a tour of 160 pubs in Ireland, proper, authentic, traditional Irish pubs. You guys were in some kind of crazy little van, right? Yeah. <laughs> but, but we asked, Rebecca, we asked out of curiosity for Irish coffees, and we knew that most of them weren't going to make them because it takes too long in, the, in their minds. Um, but we asked out of curiosity. And out of the ones that did make them, I would say out of every bar that we went to, 10% of bars were able to make them and 90% didn't make them. And I would say that out of the 10% of bars, so we're talking 16 bars, four of them were probably good, five of them maximum. Um, and ones that you could have drank, like the whole drink is what I'm talking about, but it's just a drink that hasn't been taken seriously in Ireland. But it was Dale Groff that inspired, like told us how to make, first taught me that an Irish coffee is actually a beautiful drink if it's made right. It has to be treated like a cocktail. It has to be, it's all balanced. It's all proportion. It's this versus this versus this. And it's always in a six ounce glass. It's what he said back then. We've since talked to him and he says, actually, I would say an eight ounce glass because most people have an eight ounce glass in their house and they don't have a six ounce, like a wine glass. Uh, he says, so you've got to think for the, the person in the house. Uh, but, but at the time, he definitely said that it was a six ounce glass. It was a smaller, it was a smaller pour 
and he proportioned it all. He talked about the cream, he talked about the coffee, he talked about the whiskey being used in the drink. And it was really, really important. So we, we, we uh, had a serious Irish coffee in The Merchant uh, where we worked, and it, it was good Irish coffee. People talked about it. But then when we came to New York, we didn't come here with any intentions of having this amazing Irish coffee or anything. We were put in a position where uh, eight people came into the bar one day when we just opened and asked the, the bartender working downstairs for eight Irish coffees. And we weren't ready for it. And it's the same as any bar in Ireland. They're not ready for eight Irish coffees. Right. It's, it's like a real, it throws a spanner in the works when you're, when you're not ready for it. She was knee deep already with all these cocktail orders coming in. Uh, and she was the only bartender on walking downstairs during the day. And she had to get me to shake the cream. And all. It was just a disaster. And I remember thinking at the time, we're here trying to be this amazing cocktail bar. And yet we're not ready to serve your Irish coffees for, for people that are coming in an Irish bar asking for your Irish coffees. And it, it was that incident that made me and Jack sit together. We've got to address this and make sure it never happens again. So we went, we thought we've got to have Irish coffee ready for volume in a situation where we're asked for 10, 20 Irish coffees. We've got to be ready to make them because we can't ever allow that to happen again. So it was, it was the Irish coffee thing at the Dead Rabbit was created out of necessity. Um, now we've developed it and developed it and developed it. And Jack could probably talk to you about all what we've went through to make the, the coffee what it is today. But it started out of necessity. Um, and it's, it's the same as uh, uh, what I was talking about earlier. Irish whiskey knowledge in general. Um, when we first opened the bar, we had a big Irish whiskey collection. We didn't know the first thing about Irish whiskey. And, 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 and I'm going to be brutally honest. Most people in Ireland, I would say with the exception of one bar, and I could name the bar right now, um, Garavan's in, in uh, Galway, with the exception of that one bar, I would say if you go into any bar in Ireland right now and you ask about Irish whiskey, um, not just to give me an Irish whiskey, like what? tell me the difference between that and that. Nobody would know. And it was the same with us. As soon as we opened the bar, we'd just opened the head of St. Patrick's Day. It was this time, like, eight years, six years ago, people, mm -hmm. journalists were coming in. Jack was behind the bar and were asking me on the other side of the bar, right, tell me about Irish whiskey. I don't know anything about Irish whiskey. Uh, tell me how you be drunk. Tell me, tell me the difference. And I, I hadn't got a clue. And I said to Jack, right, we fucking, we can never be caught out like this again. Right. So we, it was that situation. You're an authority. You need to have the author it was a, authoritative well, we answers. We weren't authorities. And we just wanted to have a big collection. Well, this was all about cocktails. It was not about, sure. we just wanted to have Irish whiskey in the back bar. But you can't come to New York and have a whole lot of Irish whiskey and not know anything about it. Right. It's like you not knowing about the stuff that you do in Amoria Marco is you've got to know. Your, your product, you know, so we, it was born out of necessity. We, we had to go and learn it because people were expecting of us. And in New York, you could get away with that in Ireland, you get away with that in Belfast, but you're not going to get away with it in New York. You're going to look stupid if you don't know what you're, what you're selling. How many, uh, how many Irish whiskeys do you guys sell on, on an average week or so day? So we're selling uh, 1,200 a week at the minute. Coffees, uh, Irish coffees. Irish coffees. Uh, and the, coffee, sorry. Yeah, so the Irish, so it's 1,200, and then the, but the aim is obviously with the extension is to get that up to, the 1500 a week so that's over you're talking anywhere between this year we're looking 65 to 75 thousand Irish coffees wow and obviously the base is is Bush Mills original so obviously we're from from Antrim um so it's patriotic to have the the Bush Mills blend in there what's the what's the build what's the coffee you're using what's the sweetener so the sweetener is Demerara mm -hmm. the base part's obviously Bush Mills original the coffee is uh Sumatra so it's Indonesia. It's Indonesian coffee, um, and then the cream is the cream. It ha for the cream to work, it has to be over thirty six percent fat content um, for it to float with just being lightly whipped. Um, so we whip that in a. It's just whipped in a like a protein shaker. Yeah. The cream, the ratio between the sugar and the coffee is about five five to one, um, and that's sitting in a water bath. So it literally, you, by the by the t like in building this, you can build fifteen of these in the space that would take you to pour one pint of Guinness. 
Wow. You know, so that's like you, quirk, you streamlined yeah, it. We've stream, streamlined it so, so, so much. That's outstanding. I mean, that's again digging into the minutia of something and, and making it a total, yeah. total. And then we've experience. even got it to the point to see the same one person is making the coffee and sugar because there was slight differences between because we had it that the barbacks were making the blend in the morning, the, the blend of the sugar and the and the coffee, but each one of them is doing a slightly different. So we've delegated the one person who's our, our prep guy. And he, he does it, he's in five or six days a week, so the day that he's not in, he just does a double batch. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, that's how seriously we're taking it. It's amazing. Yeah, and I think uh, when you're dealing with a coffee cocktail, you got to bear in mind, because you know, I used to do a coffee program mm-hmm. at Amore for two years called Double Buzz. What we, what we found out pretty quickly was, because uh, we did a, an entire service that every cocktail was coffee-based. Yeah. And we found out pretty quickly, like, you can have one or two or even three too many drinks and still be okay. One too many coffees is too many coffees. Yeah, yeah. So the balance of coffee to cocktail has, yeah. to be, has to be correct in such a way that you're not going to give people the jitters. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, it's been great having you in the studio today. Thanks, um, for, thanks for bringing us. some Bushmills for us to drink and talking to us about um, everything that goes on at the Dead Rabbit and the Black Tail, uh, and as well as the books. I'm, I, I didn't even realize the second one came out. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll get on ordering that one. I have the, the Cocktails Mayhem book uh, um, at my house. Um, and uh, thanks, Rebecca, for chiming Thank in you. with some of the constructive criticisms that you get <laughs> from, from your audience. Um, where can people reach you if they need to get, get in touch with the Dead Rabbit? Rebecca at DeadRabbitNYC.com. <laughs> <laughs> Man, you were just thrown right under the double-decker bus. DeadRabbitNYC.com. Jack at DeadRabbitNYC doesn't work. Yeah, and you have, um, you have social media that's just Dead Rabbit, right? At DeadRabbitNYC for oh. every, everything. Yeah. NYC's Instagram, on the Facebook, end. Twitter, yeah. yeah. DeadRabbitNYC. Cool. So mm-hmm. check out uh, the team at the Dead Rabbit Blacktail. Uh, thanks for tuning into the Speakeasy today. And guys, once again, thanks for being in the studio with me. It's great just chatting Thank with you, you on, a, on like a friendly level. Good to see you. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. with your rock and roll Knows that country music's gonna save your soul. Want more of the Speakeasy? Follow us and ask questions on Instagram at Speakeasy Podcast or on Twitter at Speakeasy Radio. You can find Damon at Damon Bolte, and you can find me at Creative Drunk on all platforms. Take a moment to write us a review on Apple Podcasts or your favorite platform and give us a star rating, five if possible. If you're visiting New York City or a resident, stop by the studio and hang out with us during an episode. Reach out beforehand to make sure we'll be here. We'd love to see you. And please support our show by visiting heritageradionetwork.org and clicking on the beating heart to donate. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to learn more about our 10-year anniversary celebration happening all year long, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners just like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.